0: while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him and came nigh. And he gave them in commandment all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, you say, Pastor, that's a little repetitive. It It is repetitive. The Bible never says anything by accident. And if the Bible says something over and over several times, the Bible's trying to give us a truth here. And I want to talk to you about this when, or is, is God rubbing off on you. You may be seated this morning. Let's go to the Lord, and we're going to, just for the few, for first few moments, we're going to sort of organize into a little bit of a Bible study here, and then we'll give you something that I believe will be practical and you can apply to your your personal life. And so I'm going to pray for you and And you pray for me, and and, uh, let's just pray the Lord comes and meets with us today. Father, we love you, and Lord, that's so true. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Lord, I'm not supposed to. Lord, it's what we call living by faith, depending on God, depending on God for everything that we do. So, Heavenly Father, the best I know how right now, I'm depending on you during this time of preaching Holy Spirit, I pray that you will accomplish that which you want to accomplish. I pray this will not be about Brother Pope or anybody else for that matter. I pray it all will be about the Lord. And so Lord, I pray that you'll help your word to open up to your people today, to me, to these dear ones that I'm gonna speak to. And I pray that it will come alive in our hearts and our lives. And God, I pray it'll make sense. And I believe it will. And I pray that through it all, Jesus... We'll receive glory and praise and honor from it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are comfortable? Raise your hand if you're comfortable. How many of you are too cool? Raise your hand. You're too cool, too cool. How many are too warm? Raise your hand, too warm. All right. Well, we learned a lot from that. <laughs> that means the Baptist church don't agree on anything. All right. And... Uh, all right, Brother Rick, just make sure it doesn't get too cold, Brother Rick. I know you're warm. Brother Brandon's warm. I'm not cold, but we have a little more insulation than the rest. All right, so, uh, so we want to make sure you're comfortable because I don't want you to be distracted from the truth today. And I want to talk to you. What, what, what an amazing scripture. Look at, look at it again, Exodus 34, 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony In Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, look at this, the Bible says that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone, or it glowed, while he talked with them. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today and why the Bible says what it says, but... Before I get into that, I'm going to be honest with you, there's, there's so many other lessons we learn here in Exodus chapter 34 that I believe are so beneficial. And, and so if, if you'll allow me by way of introduction, I want to share a couple of those points with you before we get into the main part of the message today. Some things that we see here in Exodus chapter thirty-four, number one, we see that that chapter thirty-four shows us the miraculous power of God. Look, if you will, at verse number twenty-eight. The Bible says, "And he, Moses, and he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights." Now that's amazing within itself. But look at the next part. The Bible says he did neither eat bread nor drink water, and so this—I uh, think it was last uh, Q and A or. Uh, We were over in the fellowship. Oh, I do know that. Brother uh, Ronnie came to me and he said, "Preacher, I want to ask you something. And he uh, came up and he said, I want to ask you this question. He said, what do you think about that scripture over there in Exodus chapter 34 where Moses went up into the mount and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says that he was without food and water. And really that last part's the really amazing part of that that scripture there. But he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, was, was without anything to eat, and the Bible even says without anything to drink. He said, how do you think that happened? How do you think that Moses survived that? Well, I began to think about that and I begin to read the scripture and from that uh, question that he had asked, whether well, really this message was born, but I want to I address that first of all. How was that that Moses survived with no food or water for 40 days and 40 nights? Um, I read this on the Scientific American website. It said, concerning fasting and starvation, the duration of survival without food is greatly influenced by factors such as body weight, genetic variation, other health health considerations, and most importantly, the presence or absence of dehydration. Um, At the age of 74 and already slight of build, Mahatma Gandhi, the famous nonviolent campaigner for India's independence, How many remember that? You old codgers here, remember Mahatma Gandhi. Um, He survived 21 days of total starvation, but there was a little addendum in there. He did allow himself sips of water. So he fasted for 21 days, but during that 21 days, he did did have some hydration. And this is what the, the article went on to say here. Basically, if a person is not in incredible health, a fast of 40 days, even with sips of water, might prove to be deathly. So here's the question. How did Moses survive? And really what we see here, I believe in chapter 34, is we see the miraculous power of God. Really the explanation for that question is this. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. Somebody says, pastor, the Bible's not true. Sure. The Bible's true. Well, then somebody says, well, okay then, how did Moses survive for 40 days and 40 nights without water or food? Well, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. But I wanna go a little further than that because I believe what I'm I'm getting ready to give you. Not only is the explanation that it is a miracle, but I believe there's another explanation here, and it's this. When a person is fully in the presence of an eternal God, I believe, and we can debate about this later, but I believe that time stops for that individual. It was 40 days and 40 nights for the children of Israel. You know why? They were still living in the realm of time. But for Moses, you know what I believe? I believe it was only a day. I believe it was only as a day. Why? Because Moses was living in the realm of God. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So how did Moses survive the miraculous power of God? It is a absolute miracle that Moses survived, but I do believe this, that there's at least a very good likelihood that when Moses was raptured into the realm of God and the presence of God there on Mount Sinai, that literally, at least for Moses, I believe time stopped. And I believe that, I'm going to be quite honest with you, I don't believe Moses was even concerned about food or drink when he was in the power and the presence of the Lord. And so, again, just something interesting, something for you to think about, something for you to get your your wheels rolling there just a little bit. So we see the miraculous power of God. I want to tell you something else we see in Exodus 34. Uh, It shows us the Mosaic law explained. Now, what do you mean, preacher? Did you know there are some folks, you may have ran into some of them, And they're not all bad folks. Some of them are very good people. They're well-meaning people. But they try to convince us that you and I are still supposed to be living according to the law of Moses. That we're to be living under that Mosaic law. For instance, under the Mosaic law, uh, there was no bacon. You say, preacher, what did you just say? I know that's very hard for Union Grovians to comprehend. There was no such thing as bacon for the Israelites. They never went to Bojangles and ordered a pork chop sandwich. Uh, it was nothing like that. And uh, you know why? Because they didn't believe in eating pork. Uh, they uh, only ate fish that had scales. They're not al- allowed to eat fried catfish. For those of you who like fried catfish, they were not to eat fish that had skin, only fish that had scales. And uh, and so today we have people that come along and sometimes they'll say, you know what? That's how we're supposed to be living that you and I are required to live according to the Mosaic law. In fact, they go a little further with that and they say, I'll tell you something else. These people that attend church on Sunday are wrong because we are supposed to be observing the Sabbath. We're supposed to be Sabbath keepers. Why? Because we're still supposed to be under the Mosaic law. But there's a great truth we learn in Exodus 34 that it it explains who the Mosaic Law was four. Amen. Look in your Bibles. Exodus 34, verse 27. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, look at the last part. I have made a covenant with thee, Moses, with thee, and with who? Israel. With who? Israel. Israel, not the church. He said, I've made a covenant with you, Moses, and I've made a covenant with the Israelites. The Mosaic law was a covenant between God and Israel. And so uh, you understand that you and I, thank God, we're saved by grace. We're living in the age of grace. And thank God, because of Jesus, we're no, we're no longer under that Mosaic law. So you say, Pastor, what are you saying? Go have a bacon sandwich. That's what I'm saying. Amen. And that might not be wise for all of you, but, it, but anyway. <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, I've ate my share of bacon this week, so I'm going to get off that point real fast, okay? So we see, though, in Exodus 34, the miraculous power of God. We see the Mosaic law explained, and I'll tell you something else beautiful that we see in Exodus 34. Chapter 34 shows us the mercy of God. Look, if you will, at verse number 1, Exodus 34, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew these two tables of stone like unto the first. Look at this. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in thee, what? The first tables which thou breakest. Listen, not today, but later on, if you go back a few pages to Exodus chapter 37, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 27, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find Moses on the mount, God giving Moses the law. Moses comes down off the mount, and this is the story where the Bible says that uh, uh, Moses has been up on the mount for a long, long time. The people are getting, getting a little apprehensive. And, uh, and, uh, and they say to Aaron, we don't know if Moses is coming back. And so Aaron says, break off the gold that you have. And, uh, and he melts the gold down. He fashions a calf. And the Bible says the Israelites begin to fall down and worship the calf. The Bible says they make themselves naked and they begin to dance. And, and it's just a, it's a, a terrible time of, of godless idolatry. And, and, and the Bible says that Moses comes down off the mount. Joshua's with him in this uh, certain time. And Joshua says, uh, Master, there's a, the noise of war in the camp. And Moses says, it's not the noise of war. It's the noise of music I hear in singing. And that's where Moses comes down and the the, the tablets are broken. Wait a minute now, look what it says. Verse one, and the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. You know what that's telling us, church? God is giving Israel a second chance. This is God extending his mercy. This is God saying, oh, listen, don't miss this point because it's so beautiful. This is God saying to the Israelites, you messed up. You really messed up, but I'm going to give you another try. I'm going to give you a second chance. Hey, is there anybody in this room this morning that is glad that God is the God of the second chance? I don't know about anybody else. Have you ever had to claim his mercy? Boy, have you, ever, have you ever just messed up, and how, boy, you just messed up, and you came to the Lord, and you said, oh, God, what in the world? Why would I do that? Why would I say that? Why would I go there? Why would I do something like that? Lord, I don't know what I was thinking, and yet, thank God, there is a loving Heavenly Father that is there willing to pick you up and dust you off and, and give you a second chance. Listen, I don't know who it is this morning that needs that second chance, but I'm glad I I can tell you that God is not in heaven like a monster waiting to strike you down with thunderbolts and lightning. I'm telling you, there is a God in heaven that loves you and he loved you so much that he gave his only son for you and he's, he wants to give you a second chance and he has big, gigantic plans for you this morning. You say, Pastor, not me. Oh yeah, you, yeah. You say, Pastor, you don't know how, you don't know how I've messed up. No, I don't, but he does. And yet he's willing to give you a second chance. And so we see here the miraculous power of God, the Mosaic law explained, and then chapter 34 shows us the mercy of God, but this is where I wanna get to today. And chapter 34 shows us what we're calling the mystery of godliness, the mystery of godliness. When Moses came down off the mount, notice this, the Bible says his face shone. In fact, I wanna go back and look at it again because it's just such an amazing passage, Exodus 34, 29, and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony of Moses' hand when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not, didn't have a mirror that he could look into, so he didn't, didn't realize it, didn't comprehend it. Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone uh, it glowed with, with, with an ambiance. And the Bible says, and they, the children of Israel, were afraid to come nigh him. Now, Brother, Brother Looney asked me that question a week or two ago. And I thought, I'm at least gonna go over to that scripture. And I'm gonna at least read on that question just a little bit. And as I was reading this passage, God showed me something I have never seen in my life. While I was trying to answer that little question. So preacher, thank you for asking that. Did you know what's going on here in Exodus chapter 34? You know what this means, church? It means an eternal, holy, almighty God literally rubbed off on the man Moses. How do do you know that, preacher? How do you come to that conclusion? How about 1 John 1, 5? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. How about John chapter 8 and verse number 12? Then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. You understand here in Exodus chapter 34 that Moses was exposed to the light. He was exposed so much to the light that he literally began to look like the light himself. That's what's going on. Moses has been here for 40 days and 40 nights. He's not concerned about breakfast. He's not concerned about lunch. He's not concerned about supper. He's not concerned about all these outside distractions. He's just in the glory. He's in the presence of Almighty God. He's not concerned about time. He's not concerned about anything else. And before he knows it, before he knows it, God, I mean the great God of the universe, before he knows it, begins to rub off on him. And Moses begins to look like the Lord you say preacher illustration well a little bit of one anyway kids don't know as much what it means to play outside as that as we did when we were kids we didn't have playstations and game boys and you only had a few stations on television and they all went off at midnight and then you watched the test pattern the rest of the night they, uh, and by the way, before the test pattern, Star Spangled Banner came on. Yes. Then the test pattern came on. And so we played outside a lot. Our pockets were always full of rocks, and we had a slingshot in our pocket, and, and uh, we were always running through the, the woods and damming up the creeks and stuff like that. But one of the things we did was this. When the lightning bugs came out, we would get us a jar, and we would punch holes in the lid, old mason jar, and punch holes in that lid, and we'd go outside and we'd chase lightning bugs all over the place. We'd put a little bit of grass or something in the, in the jar, and we'd be catching lightning bugs. We'd put them in the jar. And man, sometimes we'd catch 20 and 30 lightning bugs, and we'd put them in that jar, and then we would take that jar and we'd put it in our bedroom at night. Anybody, got a, anybody witnessing out there? You, you, you've been there with me. And we'd put that jar you say, preacher, you an odd character, I, yeah, and we'd put that jar in our bedroom, and it would it light up your bedroom like a almost like a nightlight. It's the neatest thing. You know what? Every once in a while, when you were catching all those light bulbs, uh, light uh, lightning lightning bugs, and you look down at your hands, oh come on now! After you caught twenty or thirty lightning bugs, you look down at your hands. Some of that illumination, oh man, I'm telling you. Some of that illumination from the lightning bugs rubs off on your hands. And you look at your hands in the dark, and your hands, oh man, oh man, your hands would be glowing. You understand that's exactly what's going on with Moses here. Moses has been in the glory. He's been with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been in the presence of the light. He's been in the midst of the light of the the world. And all of a sudden, that light begins to shine on him. Listen to this. Moses became like God. In appearance, at least, he became like God. Think about this. The attributes of God became the very attributes of Moses. What God looked like, Moses began to look like. Now, I read that. And inquiring minds want to know. And so I read that and I thought, okay, Lord, there's gotta be something in there that tells us how that happened. And there is. Can I give you three thoughts when we're gonna be be heading to the house today? Several things we see in this story. Number one. We see inspiration. How is it that Moses' face shone? How is it that Moses took on the appearance of God? Number one, inspiration. Moses was involved in the inspirational work of Scripture. Think about this. Literally, literally, the law of God was unpacked and expounded right before Moses. Look at it in your Bibles. Exodus 34, verse 27. And the Lord said unto Moses right thou these words for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with the Israel and he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He didn't either eat bread nor drink water and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant. The ten commandments you know what's going on? You know why Moses is taking on the appearance of God? Why God is rubbing off on Moses? All because of inspiration. God think about this man. Listen it's one thing to have a preacher preach or a teacher teach but can you imagine god almighty expounding to you the word of god can you imagine that you say pastor what is your point my point is this if we're going to be like god if we're going to be like god the inspired word of god is what's going to make the difference 2 Timothy three sixteen. all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works Isaiah 55 verse 11 so shall my word be he that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return void unto me but it shall accomplish that which I please, what is your point preacher? my point is this, if you and I are going to take on the appearance of God, if God Almighty is going to rub off on us. You know what that means, church? We too must be involved in the work of inspiration. We've got to get in this book every single day. Listen, Listen, church, this is what this this means. There are gonna be some times when you're gonna have to turn off the television. There's gonna have to be some times when you put up the deer rifle. There's gonna have to be some times when you postpone some other things and just get in this book and read this book. You say, preacher, I've tried it, I've tried it. I've read it and I don't understand it. Keep on reading it, keep on reading it, keep on reading it and ask the Holy Spirit to teach it to you and I wanna promise you something. He will teach you the word of God. And the more you study this book and the more you read this book, you know what's going to happen? You too are going to take on the appearance of the Lord. And so inspiration. There's something else. I want to get to this last point. Not, Not only inspiration, but look at this. Number two, invocation. Would you look at verse number nine? And we find here that Moses asked. That's what invocation means. He asked something. And look what he asked for, church. Verse number nine And he said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. Look at this. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take for us thine inheritance. You know what Moses did? Moses invoked the Lord and he said, Lord, forgive us. This was God giving them a second chance. And Moses said, God, forgive us. God, we've strayed. God, we've wondered. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, the, the songwriter said. And Moses said, God, we've wondered. Oh, God, forgive us. I petition you. I'm asking you to forgive us. Hey, church, I am convinced beyond measure that God will never rub off on us as long as we're unwilling to confess and forsake our sinfulness. It's not gonna happen. Proverbs 28, verse number 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You say, Pastor, wow, Moses became like God. Moses took on the appearance of God. Moses became Uh, God-like. What was involved in that? Well, I'll tell you one thing he did. He asked God to forgive him, and he asked God to forgive his people. Hey, when's the last time? When's the last time you went to the Lord and you said, Lord, I messed up? God, I want you to forgive me. And by the way, you know what I believe? I believe you ought to be specific. Sometimes people go to the Lord and they'll say, Lord, forgive me for all of my sins. And the Lord says, which ones are you talking about? And then somebody else says, well, preacher, if God knows everything and he does, then why should I take the time to confess all my sins individually? Because he wants to hear it. Because he wants you to be honest and transparent. Because he wants you to fess up. Because he wants you to admit that you messed up. Your child comes to you with some kind of a, I mean, some kind of a, a really bad infraction, some kind of a, a bad sin. They come home and, uh, and they say, Mom, Dad, I can't catch the bus tomorrow. I can't go back to school. And they say, do what? I can't go back to school tomorrow. And, uh, and the parent says, you mean to tell me you're suspended? And you say, no, I'm not suspended. I'm expelled. I can't go back the rest of the year. No good parent just says, well, no good parent just says, well, you know what that parent says? What did you do? What did you do? What did you do to get expelled? Tell me right now. I want to hear it. Tell me what you did. You know what you want your, fi- your child to do? You want your child to get honest. You want your child to confront what they've done and and get honest and and get transparent. Listen, God's the same way. Listen, when we sin against God and do wrong, God doesn't want us to cover it up, but he not only doesn't just want us to cover up, he wants us to come to him and say, God, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I said this thing I shouldn't have said or I treated this person in in a way I should have treated them or Lord, I looked at something I I shouldn't have looked at and Lord, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I want you to forgive me. And I'm telling you, when invocation takes place, All of a sudden, we start taking on the appearance of the Lord. And so inspiration, invocation, we're done. But don't put your shoes on quite yet, okay? Number three, look at this, because this is the main one. How was it that Moses became God-like? Well, the third word is the word isolation. Moses was careful to plan some alone time with God, but that's not even necessarily true Actually, Moses was commanded to do so. So did Moses make a choice? I guess Moses did in a way. God, he did make a choice to, to spend time with God, but actually God commanded him to spend this time. And look what he says in Exodus 34 and verse number two. Interesting. And be ready in the morning. God is talking to Moses and he says, and be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning of the Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Look at verse three. And no man shall come up with thee. Neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. You know what God was telling Moses? Moses, I want you to isolate yourself. I want you to come and you alone. I want some alone time with you. I, I'm all for Joshua. I'm going to bless him in the future. I'm going to put my hand a blessing on him. He's going to become a great leader in Israel, but I don't want Joseph to make this trip or, or Joshua. I don't want Aaron or her to come with you. I want you to come by yourself. I want you to isolate yourself with me. Hey, church, listen to me this morning. I'm, I am absolutely 150% for family devotions. I'm for Bible study fellowships. I'm for one-on-one discipleship. I'm for physical attendance to the preaching services of the local church. But every single child of God ought to learn what it is to isolate yourself and yourself alone with God Almighty. And so, yes, have your devotions with your families. And, yes, do one-on-one discipleship and all these things. All this to me. And I'm so fearful that I'm going to miss you completely today. But listen to me. You know what you need? If you you and I are going to become like God, if we're going to take on the appearance of God, if God is going to rub off on us, that means we're going to have to get alone with Almighty God. We have a lot of married couples here today, for which I'm very thankful. I mean, this is just a fact. If a married couple is gonna not just survive, but if a married couple is gonna thrive, you gotta have some alone time. Thank God for kids. I'm thankful for our kids. I'm thankful for our kids, honestly. I'm just so thankful for our children. I'm thankful for our our grandkids. Man, they they are they are a blessing. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. If you're gonna thrive as a married couple, sometimes you gotta get away from the kids, and you gotta get away from the grandkids, and you gotta get away from the the hubbub and the routine and the job and the bills and the television and Monday night football. And you gotta get away from all of that, and you and her need to spend some alone time if you're gonna thrive in your marriage, and so it is with the child of God, church. If we're going to be intimate with God, if God is going to rub off on us, we, we need to be willing to isolate ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're almost done. But let me tell you one of the reasons I'm preaching this. Most people don't like isolation. Most of the people in this room don't like isolation. Most of you don't even like to be alone. A lot of you don't like silence. So you have something playing all the time. Either the TV's playing. You yes, say, preacher, I gotta have the TV playing to go to sleep at night. I gotta have the radio going. I gotta have my earbuds in. I gotta, I, I gotta be texting on, my, on my, my phone. You know why? Because most people are not for isolation. But this is what I believe the Bible's teaching us. If God's gonna rub off on us, Every once in a while, church, you know what it means? It means shutting everything off. It means, now don't take this. I'm not cussing. I'm not cussing. But it might mean turning your cell phone off. Preacher, did you just say those words from the pulpit? It might mean turning your cell phone off. It definitely means turning the the television off, the radio off. It means stopping the social interaction and just walking with God. And we're going to have to be done. But if you start in Matthew and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what you're going to find about the Lord Jesus Christ? What I'm preaching right now exemplified his life. This exemplified his life. Can I just throw a few of these out to you real quickly? How about Matthew 5, 1? And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. Matthew 14, verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Mark 6, 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Luke 6, verse 12, and it came to pass in those days that when he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Matthew 26, verse 38, or verse 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. We cannot expect to be like God if we don't spend time with God. We're done. You can close your Bibles, but hear me out. Some of you men that are here this morning, some of you men feel like you're, God's calling you to preach. Hear me out. I can look back on my life now and remember that it was during those times of isolation when God was beginning to work in my life. You've heard my stories, and I won't even go into all those today. But I used to mow the church for our yard, uh, mow the, the the yard for our church. Yeah and I didn't have a license so I'd ride my 10 speed bike to the church. The church would be locked, but I knew how to get in. And there was a window, there's a certain window they never locked. I don't know why they didn't, but they never locked. Maybe the Holy Spirit opened it, I don't know, but it was never locked. And you could shimmy that window up and I would go to the church when nobody was there. And I would shimmy that window up and I would crawl into the church. I don't know why I didn't ask my preacher. He would have let me go, but I would crawl in the window, and I'd put the window back down, and I would go in the church all by myself. And I can remember as a teenager, I can remember getting down on the altar, and I'd just start praying. And after a while, time would pass. Minutes would pass. Minutes would pass. And and sometime after quite a while, I'd still be there on the altar. And I wasn't sure what God was doing, but God knew what he was doing. And as I spent that alone time with the Lord, and I would come in the church, our old church there, Ufolo Baptist Church way up in the backwoods of Iredo County, nobody would be there. And we didn't have a sound system like we do. We just had a little intercom system right here in the pastor's pulpit. And you'd just flip one button. That's all you had to do is just flip one button. And the microphone would come on. Man, I'd get up there and I remember we had these old shutters, these old gold shutters on the windows and I would open right over here on this side of the church where it faced the parking lot. I'd open up one of those shutters and you could see if anybody pulled in the parking lot and I'd open up that shutter and I'd get behind the pulpit and I'd preach. Man, I'd preach. And then all of a sudden, if I saw somebody pull in, I'd, I'd shut everything down and go get a vacuum cleaner and act like I was vacuuming in the church. You know. Man, I'd preach. You say, what happened? Oh, we had great revival. You say, it was there. Pews, I'm telling you, Pews got saved. It was was amazing. Choir books walked the aisle, offering envelopes for he dedicated their life to Jesus. I'm telling you what, it was amazing. And wait a minute now. I'm being a little facetious, but you know what God was doing in that time of isolation? God was rubbing off on me. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, a shadow of a doubt when my life was changed. I was attending Hal's Anderson College. It was, we had chapel every day. We had chapel at 11 o'clock, and we had chapel service that day. After that chapel service, we always had church education as a, pa, a, a pastoral class where all the preacher boys were required to attend. And we had chapel that day at 11 o'clock, and I don't know who was preaching. I can't remember to this day who was preaching but evidently he preached on walking with God. And I think I remember sitting up, I usually fought for the front row and I I was sitting up toward the front and I remember the preacher preached that day and he preached on walking with God and spending time with God and isolating yourself with God. And I remember as he preached the day, I remember my heart was burning. And when the preacher got done preaching and the chapel service ended, I remember I cut my next class, I cut church education. And there were some woods there on the property of the college and there was a lake and I walked around that lake and I walked through those woods and I prayed and I cried and I prayed and I cried and I I said, Lord, here I am in ministerial college, in Bible college studying to be a preacher and I don't even have a walk with you. And I told God that day, I said, God, from this day for the rest of my life, And I told God a certain amount of time. I said, with your help, I'll give you a certain amount of time every single day. And I'll spend time alone with you. You know what happened, church? It changed my life. It changed my life. Why did Moses glow? (laughs) He was in the presence of God. And that inspiration and invocation and isolation made all the difference. Let's bow our heads. We're starting a brand new year, 2023. Brand new year. This could be the uh, the year the Lord's coming. I pray it is. I believe it will be. I believe the Lord is going to come in 2023. The Lord is coming. Let me ask you this. Is God rubbing off on you? Are you God-like? Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that you're God. I'm just saying, are you God-like? When people look at you, do they see a mirror of the Lord? Is your marriage a reflection of God? Come on, married couples. Come on, married couples. Is your marriage a reflection of God? Is your home, is your home a reflection of God? How about your personal testimony? Hey, Dad? Hey, Dad? Is your life a reflection of God?